should put the camera over here, so. It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time to watch another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woo! Woohoo! This week, starring special guest star Mr. Rob Shirelli. Yeah, baby! Woohoo! Welcome to the big show. <laughs> Good to be here. Uh, thank you, fake band. Thank you, boy. Uh, yeah, I can't put the camera here because it makes the angle too weird. Um, Okay. Anyway, if you'd like to get some recording and production tips, boy, are you in the right place at the oh. right time. On today's episode of Taxi TV, we're going to have my dear friend and three-time, count them, three-time Grammy-winning producer, engineer, mixer Rob Shirelli answer your questions about audio engineering, mixing, and record production. Rob has somewhere around 100 gold or platinum records in a storage unit Don't somewhere. exaggerate now. <laughs> and Well, it is around that number. You just never give me the actual number. He's worked with such well-known artists as Will Smith, Christina Aguilera, Leanne Rimes, Kirk Franklin, Mary Mary, Janet Jackson, Jermaine Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Kiko Matsui, Coolio, Ray Charles, American Idol, Pink, Johnny Mathis, Paula Abdul, Diana Ross, and Vogue. Ice Cube. I got this from your website. The Four Tops, Yolanda Adams, The Temptations, Yeesh. 3LW, Stop. Casey and JoJo. No, no, no. The good ones are coming. Madonna, Aaliyah, Hilary Duff, uh, Jesse McCartney, Ricky McCartney, uh, Ricky Martin. Sorry. Stop. <laughs> stop. Stop. <laughs> well, don't put this stuff on your website if you don't want me to use it. Well, I don't know. Um, if you ever wanted to ask somebody with insane credits like those, how do I get a bass sound? How do I get a vocal sound? You know, that sort of <laughs> stuff. This is the time and the place. So I noticed the lighting is better in here today. Yeah, thanks to Rob. I was over at his house. You've got to use the uh, orange ring, though. No, I've got, it's, uh, this one's adjustable. You can adjust oh. the color by turning a pot. Oh. Yeah. You got the... Expensive. The deluxe. So um, we've tried all kinds of different colors and cool. levels and everything. And see, I mean, look at how good we look. Oh, there you go. Let's see. How the, is the hair cool? Do I look all right? <laughs> Hello, everybody squiggy, in the that's chat room. Squiggy. We call that the squiggy. The squiggy. <laughs> Only people old enough would know what the <laughs> hell that means. Um, hello, you guys. Hello, Lamar Franklin, Ann House, Ann Cool, Darren Fletcher, Bay Area Interactive, Square Business Entertainment, Kathy Holmes, Dean Turner, Jay Williams, Jesse J. Peck, uh, Dan Weber, Marion Laird, Carl Wurzbach. Hello, everybody. So, um, how about recognizing your... Uh... Bria? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Hello, Bria. <laughs> She's behind my computer, so she doesn't exist. I'm a producer. No, that's right. Producer Bria, producer Bria is hiding behind my screen. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, we're gonna. You guys sent in some questions, and also Bria is watching the chat room today, so that you can ask questions there. Cool. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, oh, don't forget our convention, which is coming up very soon, like three weeks from now. Three weeks in late January. I'm excited. I know. I'm scared. Uh, it's I'm the Taxi Road it. Rally, November 7th through the 10th in beautiful Los Angeles, right next to LAX, uh, so you don't need a rental car. Um, Rob will be there, of course. He's always there. I look there. forward to it. It's the only two nights sleep I get all year. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty um, much. Let's see. You can read. Oh, go to taxi.com slash rally. For those of you who don't know, we just posted on Friday um, the schedule, the classes, the mentors, all that stuff. It's about 95 to 98% right. We're still doing a few minor tweaks. Um, at the end of the show, uh, we're going to do some great giveaways today. Rob brought uh, a 
you know, Rob owns a company that makes plugins, and we're going to give all you folks in the chat room some plugins today. Um, we're also going to reward somebody who posts in the comment area with a copy of Robin Frederick's book. Um, so that's something we've never done before, is reward our commenters. All right. <laughs> and off we go to the races. Let us start with some questions that were sent in, uh, I think via Facebook, right? Yes. Facebook, okay. So the first question is... Um, we're getting right into it? Yeah, right into it. Okay, uh, let's do it. Uh, Glenn Johnson asks... Did I you have, miss me? Uh, no, actually, I've seen a lot of you this month. <laughs> we just went oh, out Jesus. the other night. Our, our wives are great friends, and our kids have grown up knowing each other, so the four of us went out to dinner the other night and had a really lovely time, which we always do with the Shirelli's. Um, Glenn Johnson asks, and this is very pertinent to you, I have the Master Bus plugins that Rob has graciously given away on previous episodes of Taxi TV, but I really never know exactly what to do with them. Any chances, some tips? Um, he says, mastering is still a bit of a black art to me. Well, I got news for you, Glenn. Mastering is a black art to a lot of people, but yes, talk about, about the, um, the Master Bus plugins that you gave away in a previous episode. How um, should one use them? Okay, so there are, there are two. Uh, there are two EQs. One's called the Mixed Bus EQ, and it's there's no, there's no secret. I wish there was some secret to it. It's just turn the knobs until it sounds great. It sounds silly, but um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> tur the idea is that I just wanted something that sounded a little smoother and a little cleaner than than the EQs that were out there, and. Um, so, I had it designed, and that's it. It's not, there's, no, there's no secret. There's no trick. There's nothing. I mean, but the ultimate goal is to take your whole mix, and by giving it a tasteful amount of, like, EQ or compression, it just makes it sound, like, 10% better? Yeah. Yeah. If you can get 2%, you're good. Okay. Right? So mastering, guys, you know, mastering is every bit as, as of an art as, you know, mixing or playing the violin or concert pianist. It takes similar skill level, if you ask me. So the, the great mastering engineers have those great ears, and they know just how to do it. Now, that's not me, right? I do the mixing primarily in production, but those guys, you know, they're um, incredible at what they do. So for me to minimize it by giving a couple of tricks might be, eh. Get, my email will, will load up All right, It's like, quick. Uh, here's a driving tip for you and your Toyota, and we learned it from a guy who drives Indy 500. Cars. Yeah, yeah, it's a little, <laughs> yeah. But but the mas the, the plugins that I have for mastering is just as a mastering EQ, which I think is really warm, and it has, you know, full control of the, you know, the bandwidth and the, um, you know, the boost and the cut frequency adjustments and stuff so that, you know, I, I like to be very gentle in terms of mastering. So if it needs a little high end, turn the knob a little, see if you like it. You know, and if you're just getting started, compare it to what you're hearing on, on the radio or, or uh, you know, Spotify or Apple Tunes or whatever you're listening to. There's software that I can never remember the name of, um, but there are a few different varieties of it that let you A, B your stuff against records that are out there. So let's say you're doing a, a pop rock thing and uh, you mm -hmm. pull something else up and can do these A, Bs and you can see it, you know, a graphic display of it, you can listen to it. 
Um, cool. I don't know those, but that sounds like a cool thing. I can't think of it either right off the top of my head. I'm sure somebody in the audience or in the chat room will know. And if you'd be kind enough to post it, and then Bria can go find a link and post it in there. Excuse me. Um, and I've never used them, but it sounds good in theory. And I know a lot of people use it successfully. However, there, as you and I talk about all the time, they're always mitigating circumstances. Just because you've got this pop rock song and that pop rock song, one of them could be in the key of G, one of them could be in the key of, you know... B flat? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, just by changing the key, obviously the bottom end is going to be different. Um, the arrangement's different, the melody's different, the, the singer's vocal, different, yeah, the everything. bass part's different, it's all different. I, so, you know, in mastering and in mixing and songs, it's really all about getting the vibe. If you can get that vibe on there, if it feels good, just call it a day, man, and be done with it. It sounds too you know, easy. It's not easy. It's, it's hella difficult. You know, you want to... Uh, you know, um, in terms of production, one of the things that, that is always, you know, um, I don't want to say surprised me, but um, I find it really interesting that you can get a simple guitar vocal and it, and the songwriter might just love it and it might have everything that you want on this, the guitar vocal and then you start producing and it becomes something else it takes its own life on maybe it becomes overproduced or then you try to fix all of the little imperfections in the vocals and then you go back and you listen like mm, it, it yeah something was gained but something was lost right because right. that intimate demo might have had a, a particular feel and everybody's experienced this who's you know pretty much everybody's experienced this this thing you know and that's the dance that we do every day isn't it so we want to make it you know um Maybe it needs a little more production, but in doing that, yes, we gain something, but maybe we lose something. It's the same with mixing and mastering. Maybe we gain some level, maybe we add a little bottom end, maybe we brighten it up, and yeah, maybe that does have a, an initial appeal, but maybe it's, right, maybe and it's you're not necessary. And you're focused on that thing in that moment, and it's right. not until a day later or a week later or a year later, you go, oh, crap. <laughs> oh, my God, you're absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah. How did I miss that? You know, why did I turn the knob so darn far? Why did I make it so bright? Well, maybe I was tired that day. Uh, maybe I just, um, maybe I was listening to the wrong, I don't know. Could be anything. So that's the trick, you know, is to, you know, it's like a jazz musician playing a solo. You know, you don't want to play too much. You don't want to play too little. You want to express whatever you're feeling at the time. I call and, that uh, the, the Goldilocks curve. Just right. Just right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I've been reading the um, porridge curve. There you go. The ooh, good name for a company. You uh, like it? Okay. Porridge Productions. Good. Uh, so I've been reading. Um, we have Ken Collet, who is the co-producer of Fleetwood Mac's uh, seminal album Rumors, mm -hmm. and also the album Tusk. And so I read the book that he wrote called Making Rumors about three months ago, and I've gotten to know him. I met him in Hawaii a few months ago at the Hawaii Songwriters thing. Um, asked him to do the road rally. He said, yes, I started, I read Making Rumors, and now he gave me an advanced, like, pre-edited version of uh, uh, Get Tusked. Get, it's hard to say, Get Tusked, uh, which is the uh, sequel book. It's coming out about, we thought it was going to come out right before the rally, and I just found out about an hour ago it's coming out right after the rally. But I got to tell you, both these books, especially for guys like us and folks like in our chat room, you can't put it down. And, and 
for guys like us who have worked on, you know, artists, big artist records, and, and we know what it's like to be sequestered in a control room for 90 days with barely seeing your family or daylight, and, mm -hmm. you know, you live in that bubble. It's, yeah, it's like, not the glamour that everyone might <laughs> no, think not it is. Not <laughs> but, but the similarities between the stuff that you've experienced or I've experienced, uh, there's a, a universe, a small universe of those of us who have worked in that level of room on for that amount of time. And you read this book and go, yep, everything he says in the book, you go, been there, done it, been there, done yep. it. And uh, well, I can't wait to hear him. On oh, I'm so excited. Saturday night, right? Saturday night, yeah, I think I from 5.30 to 7 o'clock. I'll be there. It's going to be great. And uh, so this weekend, I was reading the, the second book, and I was listening to Tusk uh, in headphones as I was reading the book. And then i listened to a demo of one of the stevie nicks songs i can't remember the name of the song but it was like the probably the single from not the song tusk but one of the other songs that was a single from tusk and i listened to the demo and then listened to the record version and kept toggling back and forth mm. between the two and it's a classic example in some regards the demo has a little extra splash of spirit whereas the record just sounds a little better and Fleetwood Mac is one of the groups, maybe mm. the Eagles, another one, where when you read the book and you realize they'll cut something uh, for both these records, they cut something and then three months later they'd go back and, and do a lot of stuff to it. And then six months after that they'd go back and do even more stuff to the point where they've replaced virtually everything on that song. And Interesting. Yet, they still came out great. So I think that may be the biggest accomplishment that Ken Collet and his co-producer Richard Dashett accomplished, uh, especially on the Rumors record. By the time they got to Tusk, Lindsey Buckingham was really, um, uh, how can I say this? Uh, Lindsey's creative juices were flowing in a very big way and he dominated um, mm. the band. You know, it's like, do it my way or the highway kind of stuff. They eventually found a middle ground and things got worked out. But you would think that by taking a song and, and working it over and over, like redoing the vocal, you know, 20 times in the month of April and then 10 more times in July and then five more times in August, that you would come up with a vocal that was so surgically pristine that it would lose its life and its vibe, but it didn't. And uh, anyway. Well, they made the right choices. That Those records are incredible. It's Yep. You know, so in the hands of someone else, right? It might end up, you know, like dog meat, right? It yeah. Could, it could end up going in the exact opposite direction, and that's the craftsmanship, and, and you know, that's why he's great. You know, that's why we're all going to go listen to him at the seminar on Saturday night. I'm that's so why I'm going to be there. <laughs> I could tell you right now, the chances of it actually ending at seven o'clock. Probably not great. It's all I, right, I got the whole night free. <laughs> I bet you we don't let him. <laughs> let him go board. to midnight. That's right. fine. He's yeah. a really nice guy, and he loves. He's you know a member of that club that just loves talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. He he doesn't do it from a from an egotistical perspective as much as he does it from a. You know, we're passionate about things like microphones. Absolutely. <laughs> we well, you're lucky. Everybody's lucky. You're lucky you got them, and we're lucky that you did get them. Uh, I'm very I excited. Mean, it's a big deal. Okay, so uh, deal. Vincent she Sheila Shayla uh, asks any bass EQ tips. Exactly. Hold on, what kind of what? Italian? Schiella? 
It's S C H I E L A. Schiella. Okay. Hey, che si dice? <laughs> Vincenzo, come on. Uh, so Vincenzo asks, uh, any got any basic Q-tips? Uh, example, keeping the bottom end there without getting the boom that goes with it. Can you please make it cooler? The the base, you know, the thing is, is um, base is is an interesting thing. Everybody asks questions about the base, and one of the this is the most obvious thing, but um, excuse me, a friend of mine told me this about 25 years ago. He said, you know, the bass is the bass. There's not a lot down in that register. If you want more bass, turn, start by just turning it up. And, and, and it sounds silly and it sounds stupid, but half the times your problem is solved. You don't always have to reach for an EQ or a compressor, right? And I know right. that sounds silly. But but if you can think of the simplest thing to get the most, right, that's the first move you want to make. So make sure the balance of it is right. And then if you say, hey, maybe it needs a touch on the bottom. And I've said this on, on uh, Taxi TV and in the seminars a few times. Um, move the EQ 1 dB. Don't move it 10. Move it 1. Listen. And see what else needs to be adjusted and move it a dB or two. Yeah. Not... 0.3, not 0.1, a dB or two, whatever it may be, a fixed amount, and then listen, and then the thing that pops out as the most obvious change, adjust it a touch, and in no time, in 30 minutes, it'll sound relatively balanced, you know, um, without touching an EQ, and if you need a little more bottom, put a little more bottom. I know I sound like a freak, but it's no. simple. It's not that complicated. That doesn't mean it can't get very complicated. In but in terms of just basic balances and um, relationships, that's don't overcomplicate it. I guess would be my people my tend thought. to, especially now that so much technology is readily available to everybody that. Mm -hmm. I, I think people have lost sight of the basic physics of sound and the oral landscape in front of them and they do tend to overcomplicate. Yeah, um, it's easy to just pull a plug in and expect that to solve the problems. Yeah. It, the plugins don't solve, well they can solve problems of course, but th that's not th that's not really the method, right? The method is to start with the sound and the balance of things and then make sure that they're in a position that that you can at least understand the song and where you want to go with it, right? right? And then we start crafting it, you know, even Picasso started with this pencil sketch or something yep. and then painted on top of that. I just want to know, how did Picasso fill in the pencil sketch if he couldn't see it? I know he did have his eyesight earlier in his career. Um, Whatever he did, he did it right. <laughs> you know, it, he didn't start with all the heads crooked and everything all weird. He started with the... Uh, you know, there's a great movie called Picasso. I think it's called A, a Man and His Work. I haven't seen and, it. Uh, and there are some scenes where they shoot from behind the canvas, and you can see the strokes and wow. the brush strokes, and really awesome. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of similarities to painting a picture and painting a musical picture. Watch, uh, who's the guy that used to teach painting on PBS? Bob somebody or other, I think was his name. You thinking of Bob Veal, the home guy? No, but there was a guy on P on PBS that taught oil painting. You know, he would do an entire like Bob land. Ross. Bob Ross, yes. Bob Ross. Okay. And if you watch that guy, and think in terms of audio as he's working, 
you will figure out everything you need to know. As a matter of fact, those of you who are avid taxi TV watchers, remember like 10 years ago, I did an episode where I took chairs from my kids, like little outside plastic stuff and other plastic brightly colored objects and moved them around my backyard and took pictures with the mountain range behind it and said, okay, so the kick is the red chair, the snare is the yellow chair, the tom-toms are the blue and the green chair, but notice where they are relative <laughs> to the mountain range in the back and then notice the bushes at the edge of our yard and how all these things yeah, it's have, all in the picture, right? Yeah. It, Where's it, the singer? Where'd you put the singer? Dead center. Okay, what color of the block and the singer? Uh, yeah. Bright um, pink. I don't remember, but... Or blue, like your nice go. shirt. Thank you. Before we go any further, I want everybody to know that Michael swiped the mouse pad from the <laughs> Renaissance Hotel. <laughs> no, actually, I didn't swipe it. They gave me one because they were trying to get us to move the road rally to their hotel, and that was my free thanks for taking the tour prize was a mouse pad. Wow, generous uh, folks over yeah, there. It was a really nice mouse pad. <laughs> That's great. I never got a bass sound that I remember ever liking. And recently, well, I'm a bass player. I always like my bass sound. I'll work that do. thing to death if I have to. Can I play you something I recorded almost 40 years ago? I've, I've oh, got, right. Let's I, have it. And tell it. me what you would do with this bass sound. I didn't plan on doing this, but my wife bought me a turntable for my birthday. And What, what, what are we going to hear? We are going to hear, while he gets his record set, um, a band called Truke of America. They were like oh, a very... Show the show. show, show oh, the I, I showed it like three episodes ago. They, they already know. But yeah, these guys were a very popular bar band in the South Florida area and up and down the East Coast as well. And it was right after I finished working with... Um, uh, who was the band I mentioned before? Uh, Fleetwood Mac. Cheap, Cheap Trick. Um, I worked on one song with Cheap Trick for an animated movie, if I remember correctly. And then they left town, and Rick Nielsen's amp was still in the studio. Ooh. Um, yeah, so we actually used his amp on this. But this band had a fairly small budget. I think they had like 5000 bucks. So we did a whole album, I want to say in like a week. And I ended up cutting almost all this stuff that you're going to hear. It was pretty much done with the full band in the room. And then we went back and did a few overdubs. And I remember I mixed, each song probably got like a two-hour mix. So for those, go ahead, put the record on. But okay. for those of you guys, way back in the day, you see, I was watching Michael Engineer Project for me. So all of my tricks came from him. That's so right. I don't I see, if I don't like this bass sound. <laughs> Everything he knows, he learned from me, right? <laughs> a lot of it, an awful lot of it. The best thing, you know how to get the best bass sound for, from a bass player? Like a, is to have a good bass. Right, a good bass and a good, good bass, bass player. player. And right. a good bass player. Plug that thing in and record it. And sometimes you even have to do something like, let's try that in a higher octave. Oh, yeah. I love, oh, listen to the Rolling Oh, great point. Oh, yeah. you just people hit, don't you, even think about that stuff. Listen it's like to my the bass sound isn't working. Man. Well, that's because you got a lot of bottom end in the other instruments, and you're playing the bass part down low. All right, so this again is a band called Truk of America. The song is called Hot Rod. Listen to the Rolling Stones bass parts and listen to the register. I love vinyl. That sound good. Forty years ago. Sounds good. Did you do the whole thing? Yeah. Right. 
born yet. <laughs> Guitar double in the bass, I can hear it all. It sounds good. There's a sound effect you gotta hear. Not a lot of compression on the bass. Vinyl has that sound though. Yeah. It has that. Live chambers. My LA3s. Oh, I love LA3s. Yeah, we gotta talk about those in a minute. Sounds good. Wait for the big sound effect in a little bit. Now, do you have to pay royalties for them? For the I don't song? think so. It didn't pop up last time I played it. How's the relationship of the kick and the bass? Sounds good. You can hear everything. You can hear it all. There's the Rick Nielsen app. How'd you get that? Hanging out of the trunk of a car. Oh my god. <laughs> that we gotta talk about. So people don't understand how we have to do things back then. <laughs> so you got the, the sound effect by doing what? Uh, if I remember correctly, I've done this a few times in my career for various things, but I think that one was either laying across the back seat with the microphone sticking out the door, or there was one time where I was in the trunk of a car hanging out, you know, with my arm hanging over the back end near the tailpipe. Oh my God. <laughs> I think this was the one, because I remember like oh the tires God. were smoking and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna die. Not a um, chance, you wouldn't get me to do that, not a chance. But it's funny, because you know how I never like my own bass sounds, and I was playing this for one of the guys on staff, uh, Tom, and I think he said something like, I don't know if there's enough bass in the mix or the bass and the kick relationship wasn't that good. And I went, yeah, you know, my gut feeling about my bass. And then I've listened to it after that and thought, for one thing, if you listen here versus on the other side of my desk, it does sound better over there because the bass sounded has great, though. more chance to develop. But anyway. Nobody likes the their own work. <laughs> right, because you're so critical when you're right. in it. You're looking at it with such a fine you know, eye and ear. Um, it's tough to be objective in that moment, I think. And then when you listen back, you know, when with the benefit of time, right? Yeah. Um, like 40 years. Right, but it sounds great. You know, you probably would have, you know, if we, we rewound the clock to that day, you probably didn't want to put the thing to bed because you had a dozen or so things that you think you could have done better, right? There's always that thing, you know, there's always that, I think... Um, Second-guessing yourself, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, and I've said before, I feel like once you get the vibe, leave it and print it, because there are always going to be imperfections, and those things may make the difference in terms of, you know, that's what people remember. 
I remember the imperfections in records and the things that jump out and the things that may not be perfectly balanced and they feel good and they're cool. You know, listen to James Brown records and and all old Motown stuff. Nothing is perfect. No, and, and a lot of that is the charm. And that is the charm because they they caught lightning in a bottle. They just got it, and um, you know um, they knew when to 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 just say it. It feels great, and they printed it. And they, they were right more often than not. Those they guys. went for what it took you and I and every other engineer who ever sat in a pro studio. Anybody who's ever made a record doesn't have to be in a pro studio situation. Is mm -hmm. always go for the performance first. Yeah, performance and vibe. Absolutely. Nobody buys records because of your snare EQ. Nobody does. No, no. In fact, um, it's sort of, to me, it's sort of a running joke since I've um, been in the business, which is now 30 years. Um, everyone, when you go into a studio, the first thing they put on is um, Steely Dan. Right. Hey, listen to the, listen how good the, the room sounds. <laughs> and they're right. I mean, those records sound incredible, right? And... Um, <laughs> I like Dirty Work happens to me my favorite song of theirs but um, Peg I like a lot of their, their records but um, it's almost like that record those records are just engineered and done so well and you know uh, they can sound good on anything right you know? so earbuds they yeah, still sound yeah, good they make every room sound good that's funny I didn't know that Steely Dan excuse me was a thing for everybody I thought you know I mean I've always used them to check out a room when I yeah, it's, it's, the stuff is great. You know, um, you listen to Earth, Wind & Fire, I mean, those are the classic records and stuff. I and mean, today there's so many great-sounding records, too. But I guess the point of all of it is, is that, um, you know, it is about just catching a great vibe, and, and it's about how it feels. You know, it's about how the record and the song make you feel. Yep. Emotion. Yeah. So Wendy Landers asks, that's a pretty broad question. Maybe we'll narrow it down a little bit. What's your favorite mic and what's your favorite preamp? She didn't specify for vocals or whatever, but let's let's approach it for because Wendy is likely a woman. Um, let's assume that she's curious about a vocal mic for herself. So, what's your favorite? Like, I, I realize not every mic. Is so here's work. the thing. Yeah. Every year we talk about this at Taxi. In fact, we have a whole. Last year we did a whole 90 minutes on it, and we're going to do it again this year. Microphones, preamps, compressors, stuff that won't break the bank. Right. right. So if you ask me what my favorite microphone is, maybe I'd say a vintage C12 or 251 or maybe a, a U47 or something. All we're of talking, which they cost what a car costs. Yeah, like <laughs> they have $15,000, $20,000 <laughs> microphones. But let's, get, let's come back to reality. So, um, I, I got to tell you, I just, she mentioned guitar? No? No, she asked generically, what's your favorite mic and what's your favorite preamp? I'll tell you so. what, there's a, there's, I've been using an AKG C214, oh. which is the, the baby right. to the 414. Same capsule. I think it is. It yeah. could be. I needed uh, a, just a second mic, and I, uh, one of our people that work for us, I figured, okay, let me try these out. I bought it for them. And um, I started to listen to it on acoustic guitar, and I fell in love with it. Yeah. I love it. So that thing's just a few hundred bucks, and I love it. it sounds really good on vocals, too. And a 414 that's bigger, more expensive brother would probably be like 
a thousand bucks? Yeah, probably. Right. Probably around eight or nine hundred. It's yeah. not going to break the bank, and it's a solid mic that you can use on vocals. Yeah. It may not be the best mic in the world for any particular voice, but it'll sound really good on everybody. It's a little bright. You know, people have their feelings about it, but you're not going to. That's not going to ruin your song. If you use that 414, it's not going to ruin your song. It's not going to ruin your voice. It's not going to ruin your guitar sound. It's not going to ruin anything you put it on. It's going to sound fine. Yep. It's going to sound good, actually. So now if you can get... I think when you get into stuff like U87s, well, those have a tone. Mm -hmm. And those have a particular sound that, to me, I love them on rock. But if I'm going to record... And on guitar, too, electric guitar. I don't... I don't I don't favor them on acoustic guitar, though, hmm. right? So now we get into those details where, okay, if you go into a big studio and there's a mic locker and there's an 87, a 47, a, a, two, uh, a 251, now we're starting to make really subtle and important decisions because they're at your disposal. Maybe there's a C12A in the locker. who, you know, some Sheps, okay. Um... Etc. Some ribbon mics. So now that's that becomes the art of engineering. But if we're talking about a simple microphone, 414 is fine. Really good mic. C214, baby brother. I've had a lot of luck with it on acoustic guitar, and we've used it a little bit on vocals too. Not expensive at all. You know, I like the Gauge stuff, even though I sold the company. They still right. make good stuff. Um, Gauge my favorite. Precision Instruments. What's the website for Gauge? I think it's gauge-usa.com. That's what it used to be. Right. Jeff uh, owns the company now. He's a great guy. So, uh, yeah, look out for those guys. Um, send him an email if you you need anything. He'll take care of you. Um, preamps, I like the Neve 1073. is probably... Um, I like the... It's funny because I don't endorse these guys, but um, the BAE. Uh, I don't even know they, that they've one. They've been re, re They've been doing these brand new, like they like two specs, two original, two of the original specifications for a while now, and I bought probably three or four from those guys, and I love it. They're fantastic. What well, you're saying that uh, 1073 clones by BAE? They're not really clones. It's exact. Wow. Yeah, they have some... Like Class A electronics and stuff? Exact, for the transformers and everything. And the wow. reason I like it is because they're brand new. Uh, they sound No maintenance required. Exactly. Now, the vintage ones with age, they sound a little bit different, of course. But they these guys do great work. I don't know the guys. I just like what they do. And um, I love the Tube Tech compressor, the mm -hmm. CL1. Um I like the LA3As. We've talked about this a lot. I love them. And the other preamps I like, um, I like the APIs. I think they're good. Um, I, I tend to like those on drums. Mm. And then after that, we'll get into like the two and $3,000 preamps, which are probably not the best thing to talk about. But if you have a, if you have a, a 1073 and you have a, 414 or something you're fine yeah. if you can't make a record with that you can't make a record i was at rob's house i think last a week ago last monday night hung oh, out yeah. there till like probably close to midnight and we were geeking out um 
We were hanging out with uh, Nate and Kaylee, who will be at the road rally this year, the Highfield. Come and see that panel. Absolutely. Uh, I don't remember what time it is, but uh, Rob and the Highfields have a a group, a brand, if you will, um, called The Usual Suspects, and they get an awful lot of uh, music licensed in, in big TV commercials. So the, they're going to do a thing in the Grand Ballroom. They did it last year in the theater. This year we've moved them into the Grand Ballroom. So there we were. And it's funny because Nate is equally as geeky as you and I, I think. I mean, he's really... Yeah, he is. He's really smart stuff. But he was fairly mute. As you, I noticed as you and I were talking about all this stuff, he was just sitting there absorbing it all because he's younger and he hasn't you know, experienced this stuff. But Rob and I, I told Rob... In my studio in Fort Lauderdale, which at the time uh, was the only other room in South Florida other than Criteria Studios. It was kind mm -hmm. of a world-class room. And uh, I had a pair of LA-3As that I think at the time cost me $350 a piece. I also had a pair of DBX-160s. And people, all, all these are compressor, limiter compressors. And... Uh, People would look at me, it's like, why do you use those? Why aren't you using, you know, more expensive esoteric stuff? And I said, because they work all the time and they sound great. And Rob lit up when I started talking about the LA3As. He's like, I love those. His actual comment was, I wish that they put them on every channel of a console. Like, oh, my God. You know, like modern consoles like SSLs. And I'm not the only one that says that. You know, pretty much every one of my colleagues feel the same way. I mean, you know, if this, if you, if you're not sure what to use, yeah, use one of those. You know, at the time, fine. people laughed at me. Literally, like other engineer friends of mine yeah. would like, Lasco, what Great are you bombs. doing? Oh, what I wouldn't give. So I went online, and uh, found a shootout on YouTube where they compared. There's a brand that I can't think of now where they built warm audio or something. Probably uh, it's not warm audio. They they do a tube uh, LA2A, but um, somebody's hmm. got an LA3. You know that's pretty much a, a clone uh, or a replicant, as I like to call them, um, and it gets really good reviews. So they took that. They took an original LA3A, um, and I want to say maybe the Waves version of it. Um, oh, plug-in-wise, plug mm -hmm. and maybe the Universal Audio plug-in. And they compared all four of them. And, and. Is, they each had a little something. Hmm. Now, if I first of all, the, the, the Replicant, which I, can't, I wish I could remember the brand name, um, it's like a $400 unit. And the thing is really close to, oh, by the way, the original LA3As that I used to use that I paid 350 bucks for, they are now $2,800 a oh, piece. Yeah. Um, so you can buy uh, this replica of it, um, and it sounds really good for about 400 bucks. So Bria, yeah, if you want to Google um, LA3A clone, maybe um, it'll show up. Uh, anyway... But I've got to say the... Um, Universal Audio? No, that, that was the original. Oh, okay. There's another one with like brighter, silver, more silvery knobs on the front of it. Anyway, um, the, the plug-in versions um, held their own. Yeah, you know, I think they're different, but they're not bad. Yeah. Once you get to know what they're good at, they're really usable, and I I like I have no problem with plugins. I won't. I think that the hardware sounds different, but you know some of these plugins now are sounding really really good. 
and the fact that you can just assign it to every channel that you need it on. You don't need to own 12 limiters. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. you drive your CPU on your computer crazy by asking it to do that much math, but... Uh, yeah, but, it can handle it, though, now. Yeah? Yeah, I think that, you know, those plugins are fine. If you can't afford a real LA3A, you know, Universal Audio makes a really good plug-in. So does Waves. You know, I use those all the time. And the plugins are what, like fifty-nine bucks or something? They're not that expensive. Mm, I don't know. Anyway, um, sure. let's go on with some other questions. Get Rob and I in this subject, and we can just geek mm -hmm. out all night. Um, uh, let's see. Jesse Jake Peck asks for guitars for the most part. Should you use reverb or delay, or just a little gain to sound modern? So I think he's saying, you know what. Which of those things will make your guitars sound the most modern? Reverb, delay, or I'm thinking gain that makes it sound a little distorted? Um. Um, could be yes and no to all of the above, but I think um, I'll tell you I've noticed a bit of a trend, and that is, how about that? A little trend talk yeah. instead? Okay. Absolutely. Trends are good. So, you know, this direct guitar sound with um, some amp modeling is what I'm hearing a lot of. I mean, there's a little amp modeling in there. Um, if you hear, um, I happen to love the Justin Bieber album. It's a couple of years old now, and I happen to love um, a bunch of stuff that's out there. But that direct guitar sound is, is becoming a little thing, you know? You're talking like clean direct yeah, like plug mark that. knopfler uh no he uh, was through an amp not even that really? i'm, I'm just saying plug great. it in and and turn a couple of knobs on a modeler but it's not um it's not over i mean there's not a ton of processing what i hear is rhythmic chops you mm -hmm. know making sure that everything is really rhythmically correct um and um and again it's the feel like there's a there's a style of playing now okay that is not what it was 10 years ago. How so? Um, the voicings are different. Mm -hmm. um, there's, um, it's almost like um, a less schooled approach in a lot of ways. It's a more um, like an everyday guitar player that plays a simple rhythm like a songwriter might approach it. Right. That sounds very different than a studio guitar player playing it through effects and pedals and delays. Okay. The guy that just writes the song and plunks out, you know, root fifth octaves or maybe plays a third on top or something and plays those very simple voicings, that's the thing that sounds really modern to me. And there have been a few times when we've tried to beat that from our, let's say, our demo. So if we're doing a little demo, Nate's a great guitar player, by the way, but if he were to play it, he has, he not only is a great guitar player, but he's the songwriter. Mm -hmm. So when you write the song and you play it with a particular feel, then you try to replace it with a real guitar player, right? That new guitar player does interject his own sensibilities, right? Mm -hmm. He might change voicings, and then that becomes, okay, are we making an improvement? Are we doing it? Are we moving forward? Are we moving backwards? And there's a different feel to that. And we sort of touched on that earlier, like that feel. It's the feel, it's the touch, it's the voicings. That's to me what I would consider to be the modern sound. I wouldn't say delays make it modern or reverbs make it modern. I wouldn't say that. It makes sense. And 
the voicings, more modern voicings are definitely um, impactful on the emotion that a song conveys. I, I've been noticing that. Um, sometimes when I hear, I don't know, something that might be, Adele's not a great example, but she does tend to do stuff that's pretty sparse sometimes. My so, mama don't like you and she likes everyone. Do we have that out somewhere or we have the... Uh, oh, you want to play it? Uh, you know what? I'll probably will I get a ding? Possibly. Yeah. It's a Justin Bieber. So you check it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, go on your own. We're talking Justin it. Bieber. Could, doesn't that fall just, into like the educational sort of? You would think, but they don't. Their algorithm doesn't consider that. I mean, the show is clearly educational. At least we hope it is. Uh, but yeah, we get uh, F. Yeah, that's a whole other subject. Well, that's too bad. So you check yeah. that out, and um, it's, the song is called "Love Yourself." Love Yourself, and uh, there's a bunch of those type of songs out there. And I'm, it's the touch and it's the feel and it's the voicings. And it's not what I grew up with, right? So right. if I were to play what I would have done in 1992, it would be, it wouldn't sound right. It, it just, it wouldn't feel right. You're touching on something that's really a big issue with our members. Um, because we all fall in love with the music from our generation. Let go of it. Right, and we tend to carry that into our writing and our productions. And you really do have to work hard to let go of it, but you know what? Fashion changes, music changes, styles yeah. change, all those things change. So this is, this is great. See, this stuff, I love talking about this stuff because yeah. here's the, here's so here's my take on it. So because, um, you know, I'm probably, um, let's say, I was raised on music from the 60s, right? Mm -hmm. British rock, because my brother was older than me, so I had that influence. Went to school to study jazz, that's in me, right? So all of these things do form my decision making, because that's part of me now, right? All the musical history, and then coming into the business with rap, and the, the uh, and, and hip-hop, and those influences, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these things form my decision process. And... Um, but now, if I had decided to stop and turn off that, that, that faucet of information, right, in the mid-90s, I'd be out of work. Because things do evolve. Right. And I love the music of today. Every time someone says, hey, but don't you think, you know, Van Halen was really the best? At that time, absolutely, I loved them. But things change, and I love it. Like, I love the music of today not more or less than the music of the early 2000s, 90s, 80s, 70s, or 60s, you know, but hey, fresh ideas, music is evolving, you have to embrace it and like be excited about it. And then take those earliest, the sensibilities maybe that you had as a kid or a young adult or whatever, and then maybe mix some of those in. And we're hearing it all over the place today. In fact, if you listen to Lizzo, which is another incredible artist that I've just, I just love. The, the, the influences in the music, it's modern, but yet it has retro feelings. Yeah. And it has all of this stuff in there, and they've created something that is really unique and interesting. So they've taken the, the fre a fresh approach to some older ideas and production values and created something new. So music then advances again, right? So how can you not love it every day? That's why you can tell, just I get so excited about it because... That's why I get up every day to, to just like figure out what the next thing is and try to, you know, 
do something cool and new. You know? I completely agree. We run a lot of listings from a lot of companies that are looking. They'll say, I'm looking for something that's retro-influenced. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of the people that submit think retro-influenced means make it sound like that time period. No. Look at what was the guitar doing? at that time you know maybe just slip that in or what was the vocal sound little things that are a tip of the hat to the old thing but don't make it completely sound like a motown thing but maybe it's a motown style bass yeah if you listen to leon bridges that's a throwback sound yeah. okay so that sounds a lot like something you might have heard in the early 70s or something maybe late 60s but yet he's got a fresh approach to it um and if you listen to um Oh, I can't think of, uh, you know, uh, <coughs> who are the two guys with the motorcycle helmets and the... Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah Funk. Funk. <laughs> Love, their records are amazing. Yeah, well, you know, they're involved with, with the guy from Chic, right? So, right. Oh. in the production and the producers and the writing and all of that is, it's off the hook, right? It's incredible. So, but there are those influences in the music, um... And they did something new and interesting and cool with it. Absolutely. So, you know, let go of the past. Well, hold on to it a little bit, but, you know. Use it as salt and pepper, not the Forge entree. ahead. Ever, ever forward. Ever forward. Um, direct boxes. Let's talk about it. Let's go back to bass sounds for a moment. Um, do you have a favorite direct box? Because that can have a lot to do with the bass sound. I, I do now. What is it? I got a box from these guys, Phoenix, and it's a direct box with a little, um, uh, yeah, it's a direct box, basically, and I use it all the time. Do you remember, I just like, got the model it. or anything? I can tell you if I uh, saw a computer or screen or something, but just look up Phoenix, Mike Preamp, and Phoenix uh, direct box. F fantastic. I'll tell you, I when I record, every bass now goes through it now. I just love it. I, I nice deal. Could be. Let's see a picture. Okay, one uh, that one. <laughs> well, now you know I'm not. <laughs> I'm not plugging their stuff. <laughs> Back in the day when I was always disappointed with my. That's basin. the Phoenix Audio. That's not the one I use, but that's the same circuit as far as I know. So yeah, really great, and they're not expensive. They're affordable, and I love it. I think they sound great. You know, the Red Di is real cool too. There's a few things. I mean, you know, my 1073 has a good input for, but I, I happen to really like this one now. So the other night when I went to Rob's house, uh, I went over there for another purpose, but I got a new toy. You came to drink Mai Tais. No, I didn't drink, remember? I remember. Um, Play along. <laughs> I had orange juice. <laughs> uh, I got a box. I, I, I stumbled on something one night on YouTube, a box called the Moor Audio, M-O-O-E-R mm -hmm. Audio um, Preamp Live. And it's it's a guitar modeler that models a bunch of preamps, uh, matches cabinets. It's anyway, it's like four hundred dollars. And so, the more stuff I read about, the more stuff I watched on YouTube. I was really blown away by this thing. So I got one, and I've got to tell you, I spent a chunk of time in the last week sitting on my bed with my Strat and a pair of headphones. I'm I lost the look to the videos. Looks great. 
I want to. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did send you a link. Yeah, yeah, I have to check it out. I mean, $400, and, and basically a lot of the guys who own this thing said that they've sold all their amplifiers now. It sounds great, and you can actually model your own stuff. I haven't yeah, gotten that. Yeah, that i got to check out. I don't I mean, understand how it works yet, but basically you put it into model mode, and, oh, it also... Um, hooks you up with an app that you can use on your laptop, your iPad, or I mean, isn't it unbelievable what you can do now with yeah. all this stuff? And I'm just blown away. $400. I mean, the Kemper, isn't the Kemper amp modeler is like 2000 bucks, I think. And I would say... Those are good. People are saying that this thing has almost as many features and sounds every bit as good as the Kemper. And the thing is... You know, it's not big. It's small. It, yeah. It's like the size of like four stomp box pedals. Um, yeah, I'll probably pick one of those up and check it. You know, even if, I mean, for that price, even if it doesn't replace my Vox right. or my Fender or my Marshall, it's going to have some use. I mean, uh, from what I can tell from the video, I mean, it's pretty cool. It's good. I, I stumbled on the Vox sound the other day, mm. and I got to tell you. I was saying, my face hurt. I was smiling so much. Is that what I heard from down the street? No, because I was wearing headphones. Oh, okay. But Deb kept walking in the bedroom, and she would just open the door and see me sitting on the bed with my face buried, you know, in this thing with the headphones on. She'd just shake her head, walk out, and shut the door again. That's the fun stuff. <laughs> People think we don't have, we're all no, all working no fun. That's the fun stuff. Uh, it was great. I, I was like a kid in a candy store. Mm -hmm. um, any luck on, uh, on the Phoenix? Oh, she got it. Oh, Phoenix okay. Audio. All right. Um, what's your favorite bass guitar? Fender Jazz Bass, Fender Precision Bass. You will be happy to know that I ordered myself a, a jazz bass, but not an actual jazz bass. I'm starting to get back into a little bit of recording. Michael, 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 you got to go with the genuine Fender, baby. Well, I was You should have had me find you one. I was going to, hey. and my son-in-law actually works at Fender, so I can get, like, friends and family pricing. And I stumbled again on uh, YouTube. I saw some guy playing a bass from Monoprice, uh, which is like a tech website, has a brand called Indio, and I got a jazz bass clone, which I'm sure, you know, isn't manufactured to the same standards as, as a Fender product. It was $111 to the front door. I haven't gotten it yet, but all the reviews are All right, like, bring it by. Let me play. I will. I'm going to have you do the setup on it. Okay. Um, so I'm excited. <laughs> I think it arrives, today's Monday, I think it gets here Tuesday or Wednesday, so I'll, br I'll bring it over. But, you know, look, uh, I'm going to sit there and go boom, 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 boom. I don't need it to be like an awesome bass because I suck as a bass player. Um, but I love, I got the jazz bass. But you want to know how to get a good bass sound, you're not even taking my advice. Get yourself a good bass. Start well, right there. But the the people reviewing <laughs> oh it said, you see nobody. You see nobody listens. I come. I do taxi TV. <laughs> nobody listens. This guy. The reason I got it is people said they were floored by the fact that it sounded as good <laughs> okay. as the name brand stuff. So we, for 111 dollars. All right. Next taxi TV. Do, I'm coming in. I'm playing. I'll plug that thing in and we'll right. see what it sounds if like. If I don't like it, I can find a kid and go. Here you go. Go learn how okay. to play bass. Give it away at taxi. That there are only 17 reviews on it. Okay. Uh, I read 33. Oh, maybe Somewhere. it's a different one here, but on one of the monos. It's all good. Oh, okay. Give it, give it, a, give it away at taxi. Uh, yeah, there you go. But Rob, it's red. Oh man. <laughs> I like it because it's red. Now you made two mistakes. 
Okay, why do artists like going to big studios with large format consoles when you can do everything at a home studio now? You can't do it everything at home. Okay, so that's a misconception. So I'll tell you, this is, this is a great question. Every now and then, you get these incredibly good questions that have massive answers, and that's one of them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so when you go into a great studio, let's take Capital for example. When you go in the door and you walk through those halls, you know where you are. Right. Like you're in history with Sinatra and, and McCartney and Bobby Darin and Nat King Cole. And then you walk into the room and it feels like this is a special moment. Mm -hmm. And because of the history and the equipment and the feeling and the vibe and the atmosphere and the idea that the people in the studios will make your day beautiful. Like They'll the have people somebody who work can, there, right? The yeah. people, who, they're absolute experts. From Paula, the studio manager, and East West is another one, Candace, another good friend of mine. They just make you feel like a million bucks. Mm -hmm. The day will go smoothly. You'll have the best microphones. You'll have the best sound. You'll have a, a room in which to work that has good acoustics. You're not getting that at home. You, you just can't. It's a different experience. Now, if you want to cut a string quartet or a double quartet, maybe you can fit them in the garage, mm -hmm. but it's not going to sound the same as when you have a couple of, you know, M50s or 49s in the back and every little thing just adjusted ever so and running through the console and Eve or your V72s or V76 preamps and Poltex. It is, let's just say, a little bit different but now can you do other things at home we do tons at home these days so and so you've now got I unlimited time unlimited is time is good and bad right that's true it's not just it's not good necessarily having to make a decision because you have a finite amount of time and money to work within creates a different mindset see I don't do 10 tracks of vocals when I cut I'll do one punch if it doesn't sound right, I'll fix it. I'll fix it off. I'm not taking 15 tracks of vocals home and comping them together for another 10 hours. I'm making my decisions. Right. So that was how you and I worked together. That's how I was taught because we had a piece of tape. <laughs> yes, and you had did. to make those decisions. Maybe I'd have a second one or a third one to catch some extra magic, but not comping 10 tracks because I have unlimited time. I want to be able to make a decision. If the bass part needs a punch, I'm going to say, back it up, let's punch it, let's fix it, and let's move on. We have to make, we have to commit. And unlimited time gives you unlimited chances to second guess. Mm -hmm. Now, there's, a, there's an experimentation that comes with that that's a benefit. There's a, you know, a cost factor that, that's helpful when you don't have to watch the clock. You know, there's that benefit, too, if you can, you know, if you can use your time wisely. But... The studio is a very different environment, and especially in a mix room. So if you're mixing in a big studio that's properly tuned with big monitors, small monitors, minis, maybe mid-sized, and it's, the acoustics of it is, <clears throat> is adjusted by professionals, hey, it's going to sound a little bit different than your bedroom. So There is the, going back to the first thing you mentioned, psychological value of working in a famous room. Right. I do believe gets a better. Because she mentioned, he or she mentioned artists. Right. 
Right. Th yeah. That's a big deal to some people. Some people want that experience, right? Right. It gets a better performance from people. Unless, even the most right. well, jaded can, artist yeah. working in a famous room, uh, a storied room, will probably... Um, They'll be excited the, to come in and yeah, do it. Yeah, the adrenaline's flowing, the creativity's flowing a little more. Absolutely. There's a, there's a, there's an, rooms have a life. You know, at East West, the Beach Boys recorded in this little small narrow room, and I've been in there a few times, and hey, I feel like I want to go back. Yeah. Because I have that feeling that these great artists worked in that room, or Capitol, or there's just so many, I don't even want to, I don't want to use it, there's so many in, the, in, in town, but there's a feeling that you get in there that, you know, you're, you're doing something special. And it is special to me. And that's part of what, we grew up that every time it was in the studio, every day was a special day. Right? Not every day, but most of them. <laughs> there were well, some days where you're punching in syllables. It's a little less special. Well, the, right. But the idea to go into a studio and experience that, I think everybody uh Especially when you're doing live tracks with a full band in a room like that. Sure. That, that to me is like jumping out of an airplane or flying an F-15 or... Right. You know. And you want to... I mean, if you're going to... I don't... Let's say someone I've worked with that's cool let's <laughs> there are so many but so let's say there's a famous artist wouldn't you want to take them into a nice environment make them feel comfortable if they need something you know whether it's um, Starbucks or a, I don't know being you know, surrounded by be. candles when they're singing could be whatever it may <laughs> be you know if you want to set it up and set the mood right you know and I think that's a good that's a good thing and that there's a benefit to that other people are cool. They just walk in. They don't want any of that. Some people, they're cool to just go in the back room of the garage, put up a mic, you know, turn down the lights, and let's go. And it's cool. I was in uh, Sun Studios in Memphis mm. 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. That room had nothing going for it. It's amazing what came out of there. But, I mean, literally, like, linoleum floor, it had file something cabinets. Going I know. It. it was magical, but it was not a an acoustically treated room in well any sound age. city they said the same thing about yeah, it right but there was some magic that happened there i mean how can you make so many hits yeah and it's got something it maybe it looked like hell but it was cool i think they redid it now and i think it's up and running again and um yeah there are places like that that just for whatever reason it just feels cool to work there you, you asked me the other night when i was at your house uh what was what were my favorite rooms was it you that suggested this or somebody else doing a studio crawl, like a pub crawl? Yeah, we're going to do that. I told you. When they What's came in, I, yeah? We're going to do it. We're going to go to all of the studios in town that we've ever wanted to work with and just go, go and record in every one of them. Wow. You're invited. Uh, you'll have to find me when you go to leave some of these rooms. Mm -hmm. Like, where's Lasco? Don't know. He's missing. Yeah, he's, I'll be hiding he's, under the console. He's in one of the chambers. <laughs> he's hiding in the mic closet doing God only knows what with those microphones. Oh. Doing God only knows. <laughs> there I you get go. it. There's the Beach Boys oh, connection. Man. That was clever. You, um, my friend, have a gift. <laughs> Bria, uh, any questions that have come in in the chat? A lot. Okay, uh, let's get to some questions. Uh, we can wax rhapsodic for hours on this stuff. Lamar Franklin asks, what's the best way to make your recording louder while game staging at zero and without raising the master above zero? 
Okay, so Lamar Franklin wants to know, what's the way to make your recording louder with the gain staging at zero and... And uh, without raising the master above zero. Without raising the master above Easy zero. Easy answer. I created a plug-in for it. It's called the M1 limiter light. And at the end, I'll give you a 50% discount when we give you the information for this stuff. Okay. It's like that'll cost you nine dollars and fifty cents. Wow! Made it just for you. Cool. Piece All of right. cake. There you go. There Lamar. are other things like the L1, the L2, the L3 that Waves makes, but you have to be aware of the release times and stuff like that. So, there you go. Piece of cake. Give me, give me another one. Let's go. Fire. Uh, Martha Reich or Reich asks, Do you think uh, UA is a good interface? Universal Audio makes, makes great stuff. I do not have it. Their reputation is good. I don't own one. The Apollo, I do right? That makes the Apollo? I do use their plugins, and I like them. I, it's a solid company. UA is like, you know, it's a Mercedes or BMW Right. We, but we use Nate and Kaylee. My partners use Focusrite interfaces. The red ones? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the Anomaly in Black asks, um, any tips to make MIDI-driven sounds like strings feel more authentic and more real? Uh, the, I'm going to repeat the question just because she's off microphone. Um, is there any way to take MIDI-driven uh, string sounds and make them sound more real? It, you know, with the, with the sample libraries now, you just need a good sample library. You just need good sounds and um, contact has everything you need. I mean, you should be able to put your hands on the string, on the keyboard, and it should sound like great strings. But my more advanced taxi members would make the argument that somebody with, um, that hasn't invested a lot of time learning about how to recreate articulations and stuff with the libraries that you could take somebody who's got that side of it mastered with a $300 library and that will sound better than somebody with a $2,000 library that doesn't know how to handle the articulations. Yeah, so, I mean that's the way life is. I mean, you know, a guy that can play the guitar and master those things is going to be better than a guy that can't, you know. Yep. I mean, I hate to say it. But the sounds are out there and the sounds are great. now. What we'll typically do is use those sounds, maybe we'll, if we wanted a large sounding string section, it was about strings, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say I can't afford a 20 piece string section. So what we might do is we might use uh, contact or something to do the, the arrangement and mock it up and, and record it. And then we would maybe hire a string quartet on top of it to just sit them in the background and then you hear some of that and it gives it a little a little extra something yeah yeah and um we've had great success with that but i feel like um generally speaking the libraries are good but a lot of people don't know how to arrange for strings right they just plunk down some notes and it's generally you know, that can sound fine but the string arrangers that's another art, mm -hmm. right? So you have the violins, the first and second, you have your violas, you have your cellos, string basses. And the way you write the harmony and the way those lines work together, um, 
if you do it right, it makes all the difference in the world. You know, if you, a great string arranger is is worth his weight in gold, and there are not many in the city. There's only a few, in my opinion, that are really fantastic. But um, yeah, learn how to do the right arrangements and how to orchestrate a little bit in that, and you'll, you know, you'll be working. I'll hire you. That's you know, it's a learned skill that's not going to happen in a night or a week. It's right. You know, if yeah. I sit down, you know, that's kind of like, you know, right, so I play bass, that's my main instrument, maybe drums and guitar second, keyboards a distant third. Sure, I can put up a string patch and plunk down some stuff, but when I write strings, I write it with the, mel maybe I'll do the, the vi first violin or the melody first, mm -hmm. and then I'll orchestrate everything and write it out, like I prefer wow. to write it out. And, um, you know, because... I'm not a piano player. Now, if you take a piano player, and they'll come down and they'll play it, but it'll always sound like a piano player right. playing some string pad. It never sounds like an arranged piece. So that's that's an art. Speaking know. of bass, didn't you write a book on bass? I did. Many years ago, right? Yeah, about, about 10 years ago. Uh, what's it called? It's called um, The Electric Bass Bible, uh, Volume one or something like that I did you never even told me that you wrote it and I was on um, Amazon one day looking for something else and your book popped up and I went Bleh. dexterity exercises <laughs> I couldn't believe it I think I texted book. you or, or emailed you and said did you write a book on Hal me? Leonard music publishing that's right that's not your self-published book it's right that's like wow <laughs> that means you got a fraction of the money mm-hmm <laughs> What? Oh, another question? I found it. Found what? Rob's book? Yeah, I put it. Oh, put a link in? Awesome. All right, one more, another question. We still have a lot of time left, actually. Uh, Bay Area asks, I guess it's the whole Bay Area. Right. <laughs> Bay Area. How do we stop earthquakes? <laughs> they ask, how, to clean, how do you clean up acoustic piano lower octave recordings? Ooh, great question. How do you clean up acoustic piano lower octave when you're recording it? Proper mic technique. What's your favorite mic? <laughs> Which mic solves that However, problem? However, many people don't use the proper mic technique, and there's a low-end buildup. You know, the easiest solution, the easy answer, is just to use a high-pass filter. Now, I know that's a cop-out. But um, it works. But, you know, you start, to me, I'd start with the filters. I wouldn't start with a bunch of carving and EQ and stuff. I like to just start with a high-pass filter. And for those who don't know, a high-pass filter lets the high part pass and filters out the lows. And a low-pass filter lets the lows pass and filters out the high. So tighten up the bottom, you use a high-pass filter. There you go. <laughs> it sounds backwards, but it, it makes sense. I, it's another case of, of also picking your octaves and placing your mic where the player is playing. Uh, that was yeah, something I figured out. technique is everything. Yeah, early in my career, I, w I would see, you know, a very accomplished, like, platinum-level engineers. They always went with the same miking on a grand piano. They would open the lid, and they would put one mic, you know, usually like a 414 or an 87, uh, mm -hmm. you know, all the way down the low end of the piano, and another one all the way, you know, like, upper octave. And then the piano player would sit down and play everything in a middle octave. 
Oh, you want to hear what the part is. <laughs> you yeah. need to, it's like anything else. If you're going to hear a guitar, you don't just throw the mic up because it worked on the last guy. Right, but people you got to listen that. to where the thing, what his instrument sounds like, and this is usually a pretty. It takes all of about 15 seconds, right. and I'd say five seconds at this point. But you know, you kind of move your head around. And you say, "Oh, it sounds really good right about here." You know, you start Duh. with the microphone right there. You know, yeah. and you'll find that there's a consistency in this sort of thing. Um, uh, and yeah. if you put the mics like all the way, you know, opposite ends of the piano, and then you play the part in the middle octave, um, what you get is, is a lot of like ambient string just wonkiness down there hanging out, and that add, that fattens up your bottom end in a bad way. Uh, Sometimes so. you only need one mic on a piano. I mean, believe it or not, you can yeah. put a microphone on. I like I've done all kinds of micro microphone um, techniques on a piano from C24s, which I used to like a lot, right? So stereo C24 with a, an 87 on the bass strings. I moved away from that. I tried many different things. The last piano thing I did, I wanted a little more ambient, so I used two um, 67s outside with the, the lid up. And, uh, and that thing sounded amazing. And it worked for that particular thing. So if it's a vocal piano, maybe I want a little more room. Maybe I want to feel like you know, create a little space. If it's maybe a pop thing, maybe I want the mics a little bit closer. Right? Well, I think I've <laughs> there's told no you this one before. answer. You gotta you gotta get in there and roll up your sleeves and have fun with it and figure it out. But I used to put a Sony ECM50 in a piano. Yeah, you told uh, me that because it, it, it's got no bottom and the the mid is peaked on it. And for a lot of stuff that worked, uh, especially for like rock and pop piano, where it's played fairly hard, sounded great. I wouldn't do it for classical. But. Now, if you listen to stuff like uh, the Doobie Brothers and you know '70s pianos, those sound ghastly. Yeah. But it's ghastly good, man. They sound so cool in those records. But you wouldn't sit there and solo it and say that's an unbelievable piano part. So you get so so, which brings me to like the big point and. It's not that the instrument sounds great on its own. It has to sound good in the context of the song. Right. It has to sound right in the record. It can't just sound great on its own. Sometimes you might have to thin out an instrument. And when you solo it, you say, ah, yeah, it doesn't sound like, you know, a Grammy-winning piano sound, but, you know, put it in the track and see if it, if it feels right with everything else. I was definitely guilty of trying to make each instrument, at least in the early years of me sitting behind a console, I would try and make every instrument sound stellar, and oftentimes it sounded like crap because they did that. And right. That, was, that every, I did the same thing. Everybody does that. Yeah. Everybody does that. That's why earlier when we were talking about bass sounds and, and levels, you've got to listen to the piece as a whole. You can't listen to Mozart and listen to that oboe and make that oboe sound like the best oboe ever. I mean, think about how silly that sounds. You want to listen to the whole piece, and maybe that oboe needs to come up a little here, or maybe the second violin is get a little bump or something, but the overall view is, the, is how that whole picture makes you feel. Next question, please. Um, Sweet Utopia Clan asks, I would like to know if I manage to pull off a really good mix do you feel that the song still needs to be mastered to meet broadcast quality? So the question is, if I pull off a really good mix, does the song still need to be mastered to be broadcast quality? I think that, I think there's two answers to that, because in the context of Taxi, one of the things you guys want is 
broadcast quality. Which we define by, is it broadcastable? Can you put this in the context of a TV show and it sounds good enough versus, you know, a Grammy-winning recording? That's right. beyond broadcast quality. So, right. So in the context of taxi and the submissions, and I think the overview would be what, a, what people consider broadcast quality, using the term loosely, is you mean you really want it to sound good, just a good-sounding recording. No, you don't need to master to have a really good-sounding recording. Is it considered good practice and a good decision to have things mastered if you can afford to do so? Absolutely. Uh, okay. Here's the, and, and let me go off the target here for a second, off the rails. So, so when you mix, right? So, so, so let's say you produce a song and you bring it to me to mix. You're really not hiring me because I'm going to get these levels right. You, you're hiring me because I have particular taste, mm -hmm. right? And then when I get done with that mix, if you want to kick it up that extra percent, you go to the mastering guy because he has a taste and a sensibility too. He's not going to carve it to shreds. If he does, he's I did wrong something guy. wrong, and you did something wrong, or he's the wrong guy. The idea is it's just this game of inches. And what you're trying to get is people's tastes and sensibilities, and that's their expertise and their talent on the record to bring it up a little more, a little better, right? So, anyway, I don't know if that confuses everybody, but that's the way I look at it. It's not like there's a magic button that you hit and all of a sudden, like a music library is gonna go, oh, wow, that's amazing, because it was no. mastered. Mm -mm. Or a producer on a TV show or a music supervisor is going to use it or not because it was mastered. But you're right, it's a game of inches, or maybe a, a game of centimeters. Right, and I think that, you know, so as long as your levels are solid, and, and I mentioned the M1 plug-in, I think it's called an M1 limiter light. So I mentioned that because I would get demos from people that they just sound too quiet, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure those levels are hot enough to at least be competitive. You don't need to drive the mix bus into you know, constant red or anything like that. You just, you want to make sure the levels are loud enough to be relatively competitive. And, um, and, and for me, that's a simple thing. If we're doing a demo and I have to get it out quick, I can't sit two hours and start tweaking little teeny mastering things. <laughs> you know, I just, I have to get that level hot, you know, make sure it's competitive level-wise. And I'm going to get it in on time rather than getting in late and tweak every last little thing. It's got to get in on time. If you don't get it in on time, you're going to lose. So, you know, those those are, I think, um, I mean, that's one thing that I think is probably worth people should really pick up on, and that is to get it out on time and find your little ways to get those those levels up so that they're at least competitive. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, overload everything, but... Um, there aren't really any magic buttons or magic plugins or mag magic cures where all these things work better if you have the basic understanding of the physics of sound. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist, but you know what? If you don't know what the Fletcher-Munson curve is, or you know, if you're listening to stuff 
Fletcher Munson curve means stuff sounds better loud, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, uh, for a TV thing, chances are you're going to be in the background of a scene in a bar with dialogue being the, the predominant audio, mm -hmm. and your thing is going to be so low. And if your piano is like super EQ'd, sounds really gorgeous and bright like Elton John, in the context of that scene, that's going to be the only thing that's heard, and it's not going to work. So mastering... Um, mixing before you even master and then mastering kind of evens the whole thing out and so that if it's played at a really low level in a scene like that you're going to hear the full song the full mix versus just that one spiky higher octave high you know top end EQ thing poking through that's not going to make the music supervisor happy but all that said, you know, if you can it, do it, mastering's cool. Yeah, and there are these things that you send in online, and they they'll master it for fifteen bucks or twenty bucks or something. Send it back in an hour. I, I haven't used them, but I'd be curious to know if they're any good. But uh, I don't think you need to master everything. I, it depends on what you what you're trying to do with it. You know, sending in demos to somebody, it's. I mean, I I wish I could master everything. I don't. Yeah. How's that for an answer? I don't master everything. Oh, stuff you do on records gets mastered. Right? Every record I do gets mastered, but stuff that we do for TV and sync stuff, right? No, no, we don't master. Well, there's your answer right there, because these guys are killing it with the sync stuff, especially in the world of commercials, which is big dollar stuff, and you're not mastering everything. No, -uh. no. but you get it in on time. We get it in on time. If, if there's a difference in not getting it in or getting it in, trust me, we're getting it in. And what you should <laughs> never do is contact the entity you're sending it to saying, I just need a little more time to tweak the mix. Or I'm waiting for my new keyboard. It's coming via FedEx tonight, so I'll send it to you tomorrow. No, don't no, do that. No, no. All right, Bria, next question, please. Um, Carl Worsbach asks, on raw Mastering EQ, is there a knob for air? <laughs> is there an yes, air there knob? Yes, there are. There are two air knobs. Uh, the question is on Rob's mastering EQ, is there an air yep, knob? Yep, if you look in the top band, I think there's an air frequency, air one and air two. Sure is. Okay. All right. Um, the Anomaly in Black asked, uh, what is the worst, I'm guessing hardest, instrument to record and mix? What is the hardest instrument to record and mix? The human voice. Not because it's particularly difficult, because it's the importance of it. How's that? Yeah. Uh, it can be difficult, too. Uh, but again, there's so many factors. That, you know, it's like the dynamics it's, of the song, the octave, the singer's natural tone, all that stuff. Yeah, and all, any instrument, though, whether it's, you know, a drum kit, a string orchestra, horn section, you know, flamenco guitar, human voice, right? It's all about the instrument. It's about the mic selection and the placement of that microphone and, um, and getting a great performance. You know, you got to get that great performance. And I think that's part of it, especially with the lead vocal. You know, that vocal performance has to be on the money. You know, I just read last night in the soon-to-be-released Fleetwood Mac uh, book from Ken Calais about the recording of the album Tusk, where they talked about uh, 
recording Christine McVie in the summer months. They particularly mentioned July because during the winter her voice had different characteristics. And I chuckled because she was pretty much a chain smoker. Um, I, I don't know if every single person in the band was doing a lot of cocaine at the time, but oh, I can only record my voice, voice in July because the wintertime my vocal cords are colder. I might have a sniffle, but meanwhile they're doing cocaine and smoking. So who the hell knows? I certainly don't know, but that's crazy. <laughs> I thought it was pretty <laughs> funny. Um, one more question then. Oh, let's, I, I keep seeing, I keep looking over there and seeing the new EQ. There you go. Th this thing and going, wow, that's really sexy. So we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, right. Next question, please. Okay, Christos asks, how much do you scoop with your high pass at 20 to 30 hertz? Do you do it every time? Do I scoop, scoop out? I don't scoop anything at 20 to 30 hertz, generally ever. So I don't know what they're talking about, but I don't ever do that, generally. If I anything, mean, I'll use a high-pass filter at 20 or 30 hertz, but I wouldn't scoop it. Right, well, I think he's using the term scoop incorrectly. Basic, uh, say the question one more time, please. He said, how much do you scoop with your high-pass at 20 to 30. Uh, high pass is usually a fixed. Well, yeah, okay, so depends on the application, but okay, so if it's a high pass filter, then it's usually defined by dB per octave. So if you're at, for those of you tech guys, let's say it's a 6 dB slope, might be, let's say, something like this. Okay, how's that? And then, you know, a 12 dB slope might be a little tighter, 8 dB, you know, uh, 18 dB, 24 dB is even sharper. So, you know, it'll leave a little bit, it'll be either gentle or or sharp. And, um, man, that's just like, I don't know what it, you'd be talking about, but I don't do a lot of that. I don't do a ton of that. If it's a, let's take, a, let's use a, something easy for everyone. It's a lead vocal, you can usually get away with a 12 dB per octave high-pass filter at 120. And you're not going to lose anything. Right. You'll be all right. I, I would use them on tom-toms routinely, especially the floor tom, because as you're playing the kick drum, the floor tom's sitting there going, whoa, 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 whoa. So yeah. put a high-pass filter on the floor tom, and if you do enough of that on enough things where you don't need the bottom end energy that it's putting out, then it leaves more room for the bass to sound. Yeah, let's take a hi-hat, for example. I might mm -hmm. use that same high-pass filter at 1K. Yeah. But how often do I use it at 20? Not often. You Not know, much going on down there. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I might want to tighten something up, but that's rare. You know, it's pretty rare. And I think, you know, if I were to say, if I were to, like, unravel that box of <laughs> that would that would be a mess, but but in a practical sense, yeah. You know, you mentioned tom toms. That's an effective way to 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 reel in toms, and it's an effective way to get your hi hat a little more defined. It's easier to cut out some of the rumble in a vocal that can happen down there. You know, that's a common thing that folks do. We all do that. Um, guitars, you know, so. So, um, yeah, I just thought of something else that might be helpful. So let's take a bass. So an electric bass, a four-string bass, resonates the low E is at 40 hertz. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody's going to say, yeah, it's 40, 
42.5 or 42.1 hertz or whatever it is, but it's essentially 40. So, um, you know, your ease would be 40, 80, 160, 320, 640, whatever the math is. So 40 cycles is where the low E is on an electric bass. So if you need to tighten it up and you want to roll that off, so, you know, I'd tend to go a little lower than that and then listen as I adjust. If it's a guitar, the low E would be 80, right? 82, I think, is the real number. For an E string. For a low E of the guitar. So there's not too much happening underneath that. Mm -hmm. so, so if you keep that in mind, so the guitar really begins at 80 as the fundamental frequency of that low E. So a low E chord, that's your low E. It's resonating at 80. And the bass, if it's hitting the E and your low E, that's 40. So... When you start thinking about filters, hmm, hmm, maybe we can tighten up stuff just by putting <laughs> a couple of filters in there, right, and and get rid of some, some stuff that maybe muddies up the sound. And what you're talking about are the the, the basic physics of sound, which right. is, if you understand, and it's not rocket science, it's really not. But if you understand the stuff, the knobs on a console or the you know, stuff you can adjust on your computer software makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah, so if you want to, you know, when you think about a bass, you know, resonating, it's a, hit, it's a low. So an A is a 440, a 220, a 110, and a 55. So if the low note on the song is an A and it's a 55, you know exactly where it sits, right? Right. And if you have an 808, let's say you're doing a hip-hop record, well, those 808s are usually, you know, if you're in the key of A, and we hear a lot of A's in the bass, which is 55. So usually 27 and a half or 55. Those are the frequencies that are going, going on on that. So that 808 hits. Hey, if that's a little out of tune, you got to tune that thing up, or it's going to sound like hell. Yep. And that those filters then come into play. Where oh, we can clean that up if we want to tighten up that, that that frequency range. One last question that I rarely see people talk about. Was that a psychotic answer? No, not at all. It, it actually <laughs> it reminded me of something I was thinking about last night when I was thinking that you were going to be here today. Tuning the drums. Tuning drums, yeah. Tuning, I mean, everybody tunes a snare drum. Talking sure. about acoustic drums? Yeah, acoustic drums. It's I another mean, Oh, my gosh. Um, I can't tell you how many times things just weren't coming together for me getting my drum sound and they went oh tune the drums so I, I would tune them like just routinely um, you know find the, the root note of, of the, the key of the song and then maybe do a one four five spread from there sometimes it would mask it and it wouldn't work other times um, it would sound incredible but just randomly having your drums be wherever they last were and putting them in the context of a song the minute you add bass or a guitar chord or anything to it it, everything can yeah. go to hell in we a handbasket. We used to take all kinds of time to get the drums tuned before we'd roll tape, right? right? Yeah. Have to. And well, these days everybody the has drums in a box, so, right. but, but you still have to pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But people don't. Uh, I think a lot of people just don't because they don't think about the physics of sound. Okay, so uh, a couple things I want to mention. First of all, one more time, the Road Rally is coming up November 7th through the 10th. Um, it's going to be awesome. The other thing I want to mention is subscribe to our channel. Our, sub, our subscribers are going up kind of rapidly lately, which I, I like. We added like 144 subscribers to the channel, I think, over the weekend. 
Um, click the little bell thing so you get alerts when we're going live. Like us because we need it. Um, software, free software. Oh, I'm not going to forget that. Trust me. Um, also, I'm going to do something kind of cool this week. I have where to go. I am going to give away a copy of Robin Frederick's books, Shortcut to Songwriting for Film and TV, to the person who puts the best comment in the comment section between now and tomorrow morning when we get to work. And I'm going to have Bria go through the comments and see which comment is the best, and then we're going to send you a copy of that book. But Comments on this show? Uh, yeah, the, the comments in the comment section under this episode. Can I put a comment in? Yeah, you want to copy of the book? Because I know a guy who can get you one. Uh, but Just put Rob is cool. <laughs> so comments, best comments, and uh, how will we know who the commenter is if they've got like an avatar or a screen name or whatever you call it? Um, you know, if it, it's Robbo Bobbo. Uh, you know what? Here's how we're going to know. Is after you make the comments in the comments section after the show, Tomorrow, somebody from Taxi will comment, say, Robbo Bobbo's comment is the big winner. Please email and we'll tell you how to get in touch with us so we can send you the book. So there you go. So that's a new thing. And now let's talk about some software. What are you going to do for our viewers You know, today? I haven't released software in like three years. I've yeah. been so busy. So I think I gave away every other piece on Taxi TV. So when you mentioned it, I felt bad. So we had to post something. Okay. So here it is. So everybody go to finalmix.biz to get your free software. See, there's there it is. And look at how instantly tan we got when you held that oh, up. Oh, that's nice. Oh. Ooh. Faster than a tanning oh. booth. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. So then if you want this, which is the new EQ... EQ 73, which looks like that. Gee, it looks remarkable. Those knobs are really familiar looking. They're well, so I wanted cool. it to be something that, you know, people could, you know. Relate to. Relate to. Yeah. It's not what you think. So you go, <laughs> this is to get the EQ 73 for free. Just enter taxi-tv. Don't forget that. Taxi-tv in the... A, the coupon box. So you oh, have to okay. go through the check. You have to put it in your cart. Like you're going to pay for it. Like you're going to pay for it. Code. But then put that code in. Don't check out if it's anything but free because I can't do refunds. I have a question. How long are you going to let this run? Friday night. Okay. So today is Monday. So for those of you watching the archive a month from now or a year from now or five years from now, Please don't call us and say, I can't get the free yeah, stuff. Because you got to do it by Friday. What's Friday's date? Is like the 19th or 20th? Mm -hmm. it's, it's the 19th or 20th. Uh-huh. What's the answer? <laughs> and you can get 50% off of anything Put else. Calendar. <laughs> Use this code to get 50% off of anything else if you want it. So some guy had asked for like the, the mastering 18. stuff. So there, use this code. You get 50% 50 off of any of the other stuff. Thank you for doing that. My pleasure. Um, I have never heard anything but great comments. Uh, when you have given stuff away in the show before, uh, a couple days later, I'll go look in the uh, on the taxi forum, which is forums with an S dot taxi dot com, and people actually say very nice things about your software in there. I'm glad. Um, and it's reasonably priced. I, I don't know why it's you're next to nothing. I know. Why are you selling it so cheap? Good question. The reason is because here's the truth. I got about 
eight years ago, I got really mad that all so this software was hundreds of dollars. And I, I needed stuff that I couldn't find, so I had, um, well, Hayden originally helped me design the first batch of stuff. And I wanted to keep it cheap. I didn't want it to be, you know, breaking the bank for anybody. I want to keep it, you know, affordable. And um, I basically, you know, give it away. It's I give it away every time here. Right. And it's like 20 bucks or something for for it. So, I mean, you know. Well, people appreciate it. They, they like the stuff. And the cool thing is you tend to make stuff that's really simple to use. You know, yeah. it's like turn a knob and you can hear a difference. A lot of it came because of things that I did at the uh, road rally of 23 years now or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we get the same questions, and it's like, wow, that's, that's the same questions come up. Let's just make a simple piece of software that solves problems. It doesn't, that you don't need an advanced degree to work, you know. It shouldn't, shouldn't be tough. So anyway, that was the idea. So I hope people like it. I think they do. And somebody says, what was the plugin that was mentioned earlier, the M1? Um, yeah. Yeah, that was the one. Um, so that's it. Uh, anything else that I forgot to do, Bria? I, 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 think I, I acted on all my responsibilities. Okay. Bravo. Thank you, man. Great to see you. Great to see you. We'll see um, you in a couple of weeks at the yeah. rally. And you'll see me in the car ride home because I'm I need you, a ride. I'm giving you a ride. Good. <laughs> and let's see you guys next week. We will be joined by Robin Frederick. Oh, so, that's yeah, going to be good. I'm excited to have her back. It's been a little while. Um, we're going to warm her up for the road rally. Cool. And with that, cue music. Cue music. I bid you guys a fond farewell. There's the camera over there. Um, say hello to my little friend. Peace. <laughs> Bye, you guys. See you next week. Thanks for watching. <laughs>